I don't view identity as a unitary thing. Like I have my identity card any more than finances are one thing, like the amount of currency that I hold. Uh, it's heterogeneous, it's social, it's interconnected. And so identity is more a field and a direction for us studying rather than like, here is the proof of who I am. And that's this one unitary thing. Hi, and welcome to The Financial Fox. Today, I want to discuss how digital identity is changing as we are entering different virtual worlds, different metaverses, and all this concept about digital identity in Web3, that is not really clear, and we don't really understand how we are going to be managing our data, our identity in such a different world that is decentralized and still need privacy as well, how we can facilitate that. So there are different people working on this. And today on the show, I have Glenn Whale from Microsoft Corporation and Radical X Change Foundation is one of the co-author with Vitalik Buterin of the white paper entitled Decentralized Society Finding Web3 Soul. So we are going to be talking about soulbound tokens. And I really hope that I'm going to be able to clarify some concept and also shed some light on something that is still ex being experimented, is still very new, there is still lots of work to do, and, you know, there are challenges, there are question marks. So it will be very interesting uh, also to get some feedback and some questions that you might have. Uh, please do get in touch with me on Twitter. You can send me a message or the best way might be to just drop a, uh, you know, a question in the comment section of the video so we can get this conversation going. It's an important topic, so please do contribute. Hi, Glenn. Hi there, Stefania. Great to meet you. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you on the show. I was really looking forward to our conversation about identity. Yeah, it's a really hot topic right now in the Web3 space and I think throughout the whole uh, world, actually. So it's great to talk to you about it. Fantastic. So let's start with the basic question. Digital identity in Web3. Just define that for me. In Web3, the current structure is that people have these pseudonymous wallets that hold financial assets. Um, but we know that life is not primarily, or it's certainly not exclusively, and not even financial life is just about accounts holding assets. It's about people and their relationships and financial products are built upon those. So if you think about a corporation, a corporation is mostly about the people who it employs and the relationships they have and the trust that they hold with their customers. And you can't really represent any of that in Web3 right now because people are these persistent objects that where things can't just be transmitted among them. They actually stick to those people and those connections that they have. And, and none of that is representable right now in Web3. I don't view identity as a unitary thing, like I have my identity card, any more than finances are one thing, like the amount of currency that I hold. 
uh, it's heterogeneous, it's social, it's interconnected. And so identity is more a field and a direction for us studying rather than like, here is the proof of who I am. And that's this one unitary thing. Okay. I think that's a great point to start. So soulbound tokens, they are like a different type of NFTs. So can you please tell me the difference between the current NFT that we have got and the soulbound tokens concept? So the, in the simplest way of thinking about it, NFTs can be freely transferred like private property to anyone that you wish to transfer them to, whereas soulbound tokens are stuck to the person that holds them. They're not something that you transact or sell. Now, that's a very simplistic way of putting it, but it's actually a lot more rich than that because, for example, someone might get their wallet stolen and you don't want them to be able to never get back those uh, tokens that represent the connections and credentials and relationships that that person has. So you need something a little bit more sophisticated than simply it can never be transferred across wallets. Essentially, there have to be some kind of recovery procedure, but not one that's so easy to invoke for an individual that they can financialize and transact in those tokens. Okay, some they argued, oh, that looks like a China authoritarian and social credit system. So how would you respond to that? Well, I mean, I guess at some level, any attempt to have social relationships and to use them uh, within, you know, fi financial, the financial world has the word social and credit in it. But I think that what people actually object to, what people are worried about in the Chinese financial credit system is that everything that you do in your life gets reduced to a single score, which is imposed by some sort of a top-down entity. The use of social relationships in, re in connection to finance is something that's as old as time. In fact, social relationships predate uh, financial relationships. And the earliest financial relationships were built on social connections, lending within communities, people supporting uh, each other through difficult times. So I think in some ways, like, you know, labeling social relationships in relationship to the financial world in, you know, in connecting to that, to a Chinese system that's a few years old, completely negates the thousands of years when social relationships have been the foundation of economies and the work of people like uh, Muhammad Yunus, who have built such rich uh, financial systems that are connected to people's social connections. So I, I would much more compare it to that or to the thousands of years old tradition of social relationships underpinning financial ones rather than to uh, some Chinese top-down surveillance system. Yeah. Let's uh, dig a little bit more into the concept of identity that the Southbound tokens try to solve. And here I want to mention about verified credentials and yeah. how, so if we have to do like definition, what is the definition of verified credential and how that fits with the Southbound token concept? So verifiable credential is a, a worldwide web consortium um, standard uh, or proposed standard for uh, things that are very similar to soulbound tokens. Um, 
And soulbound tokens are, at least initially, uh, sort of rooted in the on-chain Web3 ecosystem the way that NFTs are, whereas verifiable credentials are primarily anchored to this uh, World Wide Web Consortium standard. Um, and those are uh, two different types of frameworks and they have costs and benefits. I don't think either of them is perfect for what we're actually trying to achieve. So the problem with on-chain stuff is that because it's on-chain, it's immutably public at some level. Now the accounts themselves may be um, uh, you know, pseudonymous and there may be, uh, you might put on-chain not the actual information itself, but some sort of a hash and you can cryptographically protect it. So there's ways to add privacy in that environment. And um, if you, the, the verifiable credentials are by default, the concept is that they're completely private and any individual can share any portion of any credential they have with anyone that they want to share it with. So the, the baseline frame is that like soulbound tokens are very public, uh, verifiable credentials are very private. There are advantages to private and public frameworks. And almost always we're going to want something that's a mixture or combination of those two extremes. Um, but both are, I think, useful uh, primitives to help build what we're interested in, which is uh, what in the paper we call decentralized society, which is a sort of rich interaction between financial and non-financial objects to create new forms of uh, democratic uh, participation, new forms of financial relationship, new forms of organization, et cetera. Okay, thank you so much for mentioning the point about privacy because I was going to mention that and, and I'm very glad that you brought that up. So if we are talking about um, use cases, because uh, um, in the paper we make clear that one of the main use cases is, for example, uh, getting a loan. So that's kind of like a reputation that we are trying to capture in Web3 and that cryptography yeah. and the blockchain is not actually able to do that. So you need to create something else that uh, kind of like capture the concept of negative reputation as well. So can you expand yeah. a little bit into that? And then we can go into the DAOs and the governance use case as well. Yeah. So, um, Verifiable credentials, the basic concept there is that you get these credentials from people and you can show or not show whatever you want to whoever you want to. And that could potentially be useful in the sorts of credit situations that you're describing. You might want to be able to prove to a creditor that you um, went to some university, that you worked somewhere. That might be a useful thing for them to know. It might also be useful for them to know that you have never taken out another loan that you didn't repay or that you've never, um, you know, you don't have any current debts beyond what it might be reasonable for you to repay, all that sort of stuff. And the fundamental problem with a purely private environment is it's very hard to establish that kind of absence of negative reputation um, because if you have the right to share or not share whatever you want, it's hard to prove that you're committing to share, you know, all of the credit history or that if you're giving someone a loan, that it would then 
be available to other lenders that you currently have that loan. So they know that those other lenders would be deterred from giving a loan to someone who's highly indebted. So for many applications, a purely private environment is not uh, a very good fit for what they're trying to achieve. Um, a loan is often like a partially public commitment that you're making to, to repay someone. Um, and I think on-chain is probably a better starting point for that sort of thing. But again, it's not perfect because you don't really want everyone to be able to see the current state of your loans and so forth. You really want sort of other lenders to be able to see that and so forth. And we have to work towards that sort of thoughtfully programmable privacy using uh, other cryptographic techniques that build on top of the basic things of a blockchain or, or a verifiable credential. Okay. And that's where the soundbound, how the soundbound token is going to help me, for example, to show my credit history and uh, show that I'm eligible for a loan. Just walk me through the, the process and how you envisage it. Obviously, yeah. it's not live yet, but uh, it would be interesting to see what you think is going to happen. So, so imagine that you have a wallet that's filled with a bunch of credentials that you'd be happy to make public, like things that are on your LinkedIn profile, maybe where you went to university, some of the companies that you worked out uh, in the Web3 space, some of the DAOs that you're a member of, or uh, open source projects that you've contributed to. And then in that wallet, uh, once you have all that background that establishes this credibility that you have, then um, a lender could come along and publish to that wallet uh, you're making a commitment to repay me and I will remove this from your wallet once you've repaid me. The simplest way to do that would be that it would be public. Um, but uh, a, a more sophisticated thing that you could do is you could put a hash of it um, into the wallet, but with the condition that certain types of zero knowledge protocols could read the current state of that loan in certain ways without it being available publicly to anyone who looks at it. Um, so there are different ways to potentially structure how that loan appears in someone's profile. But the key point is that it's there, it's connected to these other credentials they have. So you're sort of staking the reputation of those other credentials on that. And you know that they can't be transferred or at least can't be transferred separately so that, you know, forever your, um, other credentials will be tied to this statement that you're taking out a loan. And that allows you to um, basically put those up as a reputational stake against that uh, loan that you're making. Okay, that kind of makes sense. So basically, I will be sharing my information only with the issuer or, you know, the organization where I need to get a loan from rather than with everybody or and and okay and that is one and then you mentioned about the zero proof uh, uh, knowledge which uh, comes in i guess in certain scenario but in other scenario i will need to share my data is that correct yeah so there, it's very important for lending that at least you make partially public the fact that you've taken out a loan um if your if the fact that you've taken out a loan is only visible to anyone that you choose to share it with it undermines the whole process because then you can go take a loan from person A and then go take a loan from person B and go take a loan from person C and persons A, B, and C are all not happy that you've taken additional loans that build on 
that uh, first loan that you made, so that you took. So you need to, you know, one possibility is make it completely public, but many people won't want that. They don't want their finances to be exposed to anyone who interacts with their wallet. So instead they can put uh, a hash of that into their wallet and certain people who have access to uh, a particular code could then read some properties of that loan uh, out of their wallet. To anyone else, it would just appear like there's some token that I don't know what it says in, in this wallet. Yeah, okay, okay, That's, that makes sense. And uh, another use case where, um, I mean, in the paper you mentioned some bar tokens could really add value is uh, governance and DAOs. Uh, do you want to maybe expand on that? Well, so a natural use of a soulbound token is for someone to um, have a right to vote in a particular DAO. So right now, a lot of DAOs operate on what's called coin voting, where um, the number of coins that your voting power in the DAO is proportional to the number of coins that you have. Um, and that's sort of necessary in the current environment, because if people can split up into a bunch of different wallets and there's no way to keep track of people doing that, uh, nothing other than the amount of coins that you have can matter. But you might want to use more sophisticated mechanisms, such as one person, one vote, rather than one token, one vote. Or you might want to use something in between, like a, a protocol that I came up with called quadratic voting, which allows people with more tokens to have more say, but not in full proportion to how many votes, uh, additional tokens they have. And to do that, you need some way of issuing people a sense of them being a unique participant in this DAO. One approach to that that people have taken is proof of personhood, where you just have um, people prove that they're a unique human being, maybe using biometrics or using some sort of facial identification. That has a number of challenges with it, but most importantly, um, most DAOs have maybe a thousand members, and it doesn't really deter attacks on that very much to just say everyone has to be a unique human. Because if there's only a thousand members in the DAO, I could go and get a hundred of my friends to all split my currency up and let me use their accounts. So you really want someone to be issued a token that says, no, you're really a meaningful participant in this DAO. We're not going to let just anyone in. They have to be someone who we have a reason to believe is actually participating. And you can gate that using these soulbound tokens. Um, so that's a natural use of these. Concert tickets would be another one. Many concert tickets are not freely transferable across people. Airline tickets might be. So there's many cases where we sell someone a piece of property or a right, but we don't want it to be freely transferable because who they are matters as well as the money that they give to us. Yeah, and then there is all this uh, concept about portability of our identity across different virtual worlds because, uh, yes, there are metaverses they are developing out there. They might be working on a silo right now, but in the future, we are all hoping that there is more interoperability between these networks. So then I can myself have different kind of uh, identities or I can bring my identity as I'm moving into different kind of world. What, what is your, um, you know, your comments, your, uh, on your opinion on, not, not really on the current stage that we are, but maybe on what you would like to see in the industry and how we are going to moving forward? Because we all have to work together if we want to move the crypto and the blockchain space, uh, you know, to, to bring value to us rather than try to find each other, fight each other where's the biggest pie. Interoperability has in the past usually depended on uh, 
companies working together to allow federation or interoperation between their systems. I think the promise of the blockchain world is that there could be some of these sort of publicly operated systems in, in some sense, like uh, blockchains that become a shared substrate across many different uh, proprietary metaverse or you know virtual world applications. Um, I, I don't know that the current blockchains are like the only or the ideal substrate for that. My hope is that we get to the point of sort of a uh, internet of these systems where we can have credentials that get issued in different contexts and there can be common standards that allow them to interoperate across uh, these contexts to, to differing extents. And I don't think that will happen just through private entities working alone. I think it'll probably happen from public sector involvement, civil society involvement, um, building off of the innovations that happen uh, in the private sector. But I do think that the uh, blockchain environments are interesting experiments with those things that can help inspire those efforts at standardization and that those standards will have to, uh, unlike the verifiable credentials standard, think not just about purely private uh, desires, but about the way in which you get some of these more sophisticated financial applications that require different types of partial publicity. So I think uh, standards are important and I'm excited by what the W3C did. And I don't think it's a ending point because I don't think it covers enough of the cases that interoperate with, with these uh, financial, economic and political um, applications. How are we building towards those standards? Who are uh the bodies, the, the people that should get involved, uh, because uh, I think the, the, the standard is the basis to get them moving forward. So we need to kind of work towards that and see how we are building those standards. It's time to do it right now. Yeah, I think a lot of the standard setting bodies, including W3C, are a bit out of date and um, aren't pushing the envelope enough on really bringing in fundamentally new and innovative types of applications. Um, I think that they, they, they've served a purpose, but they just don't have the breadth of public buy-in at this point that they need in order to push the ball forward. I'd love to see some sort of a network of digital ministers uh, be established that helps um, you know coordinate on potential standards. And I think there's an increasing interest uh, in sort of public engagement by, by governments in the digital uh, space. And uh, a lot of that has been focused on regulation thus far, but I think even more powerful than regulation is active engagement and investment in building um, sort of a, a process of both funding new initiatives in, in these sorts of identity system uh, directions and uh, working to standardize the best innovations that come out of that space. It is very interesting that you are stressing on the role of the governments and actually they are going to be pivotal in getting uh, the crypto industry to the next level, which is true. But at the same time, there is the community role, which uh, uh, is kind of getting more important as well in the governance. Uh, so 
tell me a little bit about how the community role is changing and uh, and and perhaps uh, how the government should now start to engage with community in a different ways well i think that um even though governments play a critical role in helping to establish standards i actually think that these directions can significantly change or in some sense reduce the exclusive role of government as the standard for identity one thing that i really value about Soulbound tokens, and that is less true of the verifiable credentials, uh, most naturally, is that it emphasizes um, the role of uh, communities in issuing these tokens. You know, if you think about a birth certificate, uh, which then helps you get a driver's license and a passport and all those sorts of things, they ultimately come from two parents usually that with a doctor signing something which is one social relationship that people have but it's only one of the many rich social relationships that define who we are and if you think about high quality verification processes like those undertaken by intelligence agencies they don't just rely on those documents which are some bureaucratic blurring of an underlying uh, social relationship they rely on a whole range of social relationships that you have that are high quality and that together provide a network that show who you are. And my hope is that um, governments and uh, people can eventually come to rely much more on directly representing those social relationships through these types of you know digital substrates, making uh, the verification of identity much more secure and also much less centralized, much more flexible. So I, I think that is a world we can hope to get to, but it's gonna require a lot of experimentation and a lot of work by governments and across governments and civil society and businesses uh, to, to get there, that just like establishing the internet uh, originally took. Yeah, and that's how we can really make technology leapfrogging for, you know, countries that unfortunately they didn't have all the wealth that was, yeah. uh, you know, available in other countries. Now, I've got a few fire questions that I want to ask you some concern. So what happens if the Saul wallet is hacked? So, you know, what I mean, if I lose the key to my soul address, um, how can I recover it? What's happened? So the one of the, I think, really exciting possibilities that is unlocked by this world um, builds off of something that's called social recovery. So the idea of social recovery is that you appoint a set of friends as guardians. And let's say that you need three of the five of them to recover your wallet. So that's sort of a decentralized way to uh, secure your uh, wallet without relying on a centralized uh, custodian. But soul to bound tokens open, I think, even more exciting possibilities, where as you accumulate relationships and connections and credentials, you can actually use those as a substrate for coming up with who these um, uh, guardians are. So rather than having to keep a list and make sure that you update those relationships and so forth, Instead, just as you get different jobs, as you get different credentials, uh, you know, educational credentials, as you uh, become parts of different communities, the set of people who are the um, potential to help you recover your keys 
automatically adjust to the changing nature of your social relationships. So I, I think that's what we call community recovery. And we think that's a really exciting uh, potential paradigm that could be much more secure than any of them that are currently available. And that you can build towards from either a custodial relationship, you know, you start with just having, uh, you know, Google or uh, Bank of America be the custodian, but then eventually as you get all these different relationships, you can diversify the set of institutions, or you can build to it from the, you know, Web3 native environment where you, uh, you know, start holding your own keys. And as you get more affiliations, you then diversify the set of people who has the ability to unlock your wallet. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention also some Web2 companies uh, because, yeah, one of the challenges would really be how to bring these Web3 concepts or these new concepts of soundbound tokens into kind of integrated with Web2. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, how do you see that integration? Well, I, I think that um, even Coinbase is very much web two in its structure, even though they're one of the, or, you know, finance, they're, they're very centralized. And then the question is, how do you go from that uh, or from another web two company and build towards something that's more decentralized? And I, and I, the way I see that happening is that ultimately sold bound tokens represent uh, affiliations like you might have with a centralized company, right? And as you have relationships with more centralized companies, the graph, the, the, the set of relationships diversifies. And so rather than your custodianship being held by a single one of them, it might be held by five. So for example, you might have a relationship with Bank of America, Google, um, you know, Apple, uh, Coinbase, et cetera. And maybe three of the five of those can together unlock your wallet. Then you're not hostage to any one of them, but on the other hand, you have some of the security that comes with whatever trust you hold in them. And as that set go grows larger and larger, you move away from being sort of hostage to one of them to having a whole network that uh, uh, supports you. So let's say that I don't want to show some data because obviously, you know, being so clear about we so transparent, it can actually attract the bad actor and I can become a target of some, some kind of arm or something. So how can yeah. I hide a soundbound token? Should I have to do it myself? I mean, either, but I mean, all the point about, uh, you know, is about making technology uh, easy so that everybody can adopt it. But I just, I'm yeah. just missing the piece about, is myself ashing or, or uh, how that works? So, so then, uh, you know, even people, they are not so uh, crypto savvy, they can actually hold the sunbound tokens. Well, I, look, I do not recommend this as a substrate for most of the public until the technology develops to a later stage. This is a very experimental substrate for, um, you know, early adopters, very sophisticated uh uh, you know, experimenters who understand the uncertainties and the speculative nature of a lot of this technology, just as in early days, you don't necessarily recommend head, you know, virtual reality headsets to just yeah. like anyone. Or trade DeFi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but, but I believe that eventually we can build this uh, to the point where it has a lot of clarity and ease of use for a broad public. Okay. So timelines as uh, like the last uh, uh, 
question? Just give me a little bit yeah. of indication of how the work is progressing. Well, I mean, there's already soulbound tokens being issued by some of the more uh, exciting DAOs like Optimism and Gitcoin. Um, and I think over the course of this year, we'll see more and more of that. Uh, I think in, in the years following it, um, it, it's going to expand and it's going to become increasingly user-friendly. My guess is that you'll see sort of this, the mass market up tick in this, the way that you did in NFTs last year, probably around 2023, 2024. So I think that that's probably the, you know, maybe 2025 even. That's kind of the timeline that I would expect for this to be very widely uh, used. In terms of like wallet, do we need also the wallet to kind of, are the wallets outside there able to support this uh, new technology or we need also an evolution of the wallets as well? Well, uh, wallets out there, I think, can re receive at present soul bound tokens, either set up in a way that's just literally not transferable or that is transferable, but where it becomes clear that what the provenance was so that if you've transferred it, people will be skeptical and look at why you transferred it and so forth. But um, ultimately the technology we want to get towards is one that is tied to this community recovery mechanism where what it really means to be non-transferable is that it can only be transferred with that community print emissioning. And that doesn't exist yet. We, there's a bunch of experiments that are gonna need, need to be done to make that happen. And um, I'm really excited to see where that, where that all goes. Okay, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us, uh, uh, you know, your insight on the work that you have been doing on the Starbound tokens. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stefania. It was a pleasure.